Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, November 5th. A little bit quieter on the tennis front. It finally is starting to feel like the end of the season. We had a rush of events post-US Open that just keep you on your toes, particularly with the time difference. It's like 3 a.m. I have to wake up and pee. I immediately check my phone. I'm like, oh, what's the action going on in Asia? And I'm going to miss that because after a wonderful weekend of WTA finals in Asia, we had the ATP Paris Masters going on all week long, Charlottesville Challenger, of course. Uh, things are quieting up. The real event on everyone's mind this week, the next-gen finals for the ATP side in Milan. I want to talk about that event as well as recap in full this past weekend's WTA Finals and ATP Paris Masters. And the only person I can think of to join me to do all of that and talk a little college tennis at the end because he has that enthusiasm for all levels of tennis like I do. Your favorite writer from CrackRackets.com where his article series College Contenders will be the college concept I'm talking about. We will feature that later. But of of course, you know him as a former four-star tennis recruiting.net and co-host of the Wednesday Mini Break podcast. It's Matt the Cracks, the Koyak. Maddie, welcome back to the Mini Break. What's going on, brother? Another week, getting, another pod. It's getting harder and harder to introduce you. Too many titles. Hey, that I will take that. I will take that. Is is <laughs> if it's difficult on you, that uh, makes me look good, man. I appreciate it. If Cracked Rackets had a next-gen finals equivalent, given the points you accumulated with all the stuff you've done, you would have qualified. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Although, like Shapovalov, you definitely would have found a reason to cut <laughs> But, yes, uh, with that in mind, no, of course, I'm joking around. I'm sure we will reach that storyline later on. But the place I want to start today's podcast, because, again, we have— Four big topics we want to hit. We don't want to make it an hour and a half, two hour long podcast like last night's best of the decade GSP was with the one and only Andrew Burton. I'm not even kidding, Matt. We went two hours, five minutes total. Westoff, being the wizard that he is, is going to divide it into two hour long episodes. And we talked about your favorite generation, Generation Grigor, the lost gen, why it didn't happen, what trends we can see that what happened to them to apply to this next generation. So listeners, if you're interested for that, go check that out. But the place I want to start today, difference, let's switch gears a little bit. The WTA season essentially over. I know we still have the Fed Cup finals, but the WTA finals wrapping up this weekend in Shenzhen. Um, let's start with our semifinal results because that was the field that was ended up, just for you listeners to know what the field was set the people who emerged out of group play we had the number one seed Ashley Barty taking on number two and the second place finisher in the other group Carolina Pliskova 
And in our other bracket, number seven, Belinda Bencic playing group winner and defending champion Alina Svitolina. And we did get two three-set semifinals, but they were very, very different stories. Let's start with Ashley Barty, the biggest winner of this weekend, in my opinion. Not only does she end up winning the event, spoiler alert listeners, but by coming here, getting a few wins, she ended the year world number one in this semifinal. She had gone two and one in her group play. She loses the first set versus Pliskova, who was attacking everything. Every slice backhand Barty hit, and yet what just dawned on me throughout this entire tournament, what I am so excited about, Ashley Barty, moving forward, she is so physically gifted. She is so physically fit that regardless of how slow these courts were playing, regardless of the fact that when she hit a slice backhand, it allowed her opponent to reset to attack the Barty backhand side, she just has so many weapons at her disposal. She is such an incredible talent, Matt. Yeah, and Pliskova was playing very well. I mean, let's let's not get this twisted. Pliskova was playing at a high level, and Barty, I mean, to win the second and third, two and three, after dropping that first set, I was very impressed. You mentioned her weapons. I think mainly just, you know, you talked about her being physically fit. I think that stamina, that endurance is a major factor for her. And then on top of that, just, just consistency, man. She's more consistent uh, than Karolina Pliskova. I mean, Pliskova, we know, has the big power, can hit winners from all over the court. Uh, Barty was steadier, and she came out two and three in those second and third sets. Very impressive. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but I just I can't think of a really a more deserving player to, to win this final event of the year on the WTA Tour. I mean, we talk about the parody all the time, uh, but Barty, when you think about it, in 2019 had really just about as good of a season as anybody else. Bianca Andrescu was in there. You know, she had some injury uh, issues, but I'm happy for Barty, man. Uh, The future's bright. One of the things you just mentioned about her deserving to win this event, she... I don't. I think Alina Svitolina from start to finish played the best throughout this tournament. But what stuck out for Ashley Barty is she got better and better as the tournament progressed. You look at the results here from her. She wins her first match in three sets against Bencic, then loses a tough three-setter to fill in Kiki Bertens, who she had match points against a couple of weeks earlier, but then to lose against Bertens a couple of weeks later, who had just flown in. She gets a, a you know a two-set win over Petra Kvitova to start her form, and then she got better and better. She ends up winning straight set in the finals, but we'll talk about that final match in a second. For Ashley Barty, it's not just that she's done this once. This is now her third straight incredibly strong end to the season. And, and people know for Ashley Barty, she took a year off. She played, I believe it was rugby. Maybe it was cricket. I, I don't remember exactly. It, I think it, was, it was cricket. cricket. Yeah. yeah, rugby. I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> that's just, again, I, I keep saying this, but I saw her in the Cincinnati press room, and she is just so physically fit. I mean, she's jacked. It's so incredible. But for her, the, at the end of the last three seasons, you look at what she's done at the U.S. Open, third round, fourth round, fourth round. That's solid. The last three years, she's semifinaled at the Elite Trophy, WTA final light in Juha. She won it last year. This year, she ends the year with a win at the WTA Finals. She didn't play the China Open last year, but she made the finals this year. Her last three Wuhan Opens, an end-of-the-year event, she's gone final, semifinal, semifinal. This speaks to to emphasize, again— 
Her physical fitness is what allows her to stand out. She is in such good shape that she can run around the slice backhand when she wants to be aggressive, go inside in with a forehand. She can move forward, be the aggressor, uh, cut volleys off at the net at early times to take time away from her. Or in the final against Fidelina, she did, did this particularly well because Fidelina was having a hard time penetrating the court. So Barty was able to move forward, take the angles, take time away from Svitolina, and even on a slow court, that sort of thing is going to work. She just attacks you in so many different ways. And then the coup de grace, I mean, she won the French Open on top of everything else. She can serve in volley, so you know she's going to be good at Wimbledon. She proved her worth when she won on the Miami Open on hard court, how consistent she's been at the end of the season on hard courts. And she won the French Open. She is the young stud, Bianca Andreescu, who's had injury issues aside, who is the best right now in the WTA on all, all three surfaces. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, she's been the most consistent, and I think she's very deserving uh, to come out of this tournament as the winner. You know, we've seen players like Osaka have spurts where we're like, wow, I mean, she is playing incredible tennis. Same thing with Andrescu, uh, Halep, you know, Svitolina, other players like that. But throughout the course of the entire season, really the one that we kept talking about the most, it, it feels like it was Ash Barty. She was always in the conversation. And so for her to end the year at number one, I just, I'm happy and I I think she's very deserving of it. I love the variety in her game. I've said that many times. It's different than than a lot of the players on the WTA tour. And and it's fun to watch. In 15 tournaments this year, excuse me, that can't be right. It must be 16. They're not counting one. Uh, She won four titles. She made six finals. She went 56 and 12 overall. As you mentioned, a deserving year end number one. She made a final and won a premier mandatory event, quarterfinal and fourth round at the other two. She won her first Grand Slam at the French Open, won the World Tour Finals to end the year with a positive note. I mean, she was, for 52 weeks, the best player on the WTA, and maybe that's not the entire length of the season, but even if you date back to last year this time, she has been that good for that long. So I completely agree with you. A well-deserved year-end number one ranking for Ashley Barty, who comes away the biggest winner uh, of this WTA Finals. But I want to talk about one more player because we talked a lot about Benchich last week. Uh, with all due respect to other uh, semifinalists, Carolina Pliskova, we've talked a lot about her throughout the year as well. But Alina Svitolina, Really interesting point for her because she's 25 years old. She ends the year at number six, which is three off her career high of number three. But objectively, probably the best season of her career if you look at what she accumulated from top to bottom. You look at how she did at the slams for the first time in her career. She made multiple semifinals, but she also made at Wimbledon at the U.S. Open, but she also made that quarterfinal in Australia third round at the French Open. She makes the finals here coming off of a title last year. She makes a semifinal at Indian Wells, quarterfinals in China, semifinals Dubai, quarterfinals Canada, quarterfinals Wuhan, uh, you know, 33 and 16 on the year. Yet there were no titles for her. And I think that's the big thing to circle is with how many good players she was younger than for a while, the Halops, the Pliskovas, who are, you know, two, three, four years her peers. And then you have this young group on her tail, Osaka, Bencic, Andrescu, Barty. She finds herself in an interesting place heading into 2020, right? Yeah, I mean, she's she's kind of stuck in that middle. I, I mean, to, to me, she's she's consistently just that top eight you know, player in the world that that's going to be in the top 10, you know, she's a tough out, but where can her game really go from, from here? I mean, this is the question that I have with her. She, she's very consistent player. 
She can struggle to be aggressive at times. I just don't know, like, if we're talking about improvement, like, can she win a slam? It's like, what she's got right now, I just don't know if... I don't know if there's, like, another gear for her to get to. I, I don't know if that improvement, like, th there's there's a higher ceiling than what we've already seen. I mean, am I wrong? That just, she seems like that kind of player where, we're, we're you know, we look at a Pliskova in Osaka. Players that can just absolutely crush the ball. They have that power. We know they can play, you know, just at a certain level. Ash Barty, she does it in a different way with her variety. Andrescu's in there, but... With Svitolina, I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. It's tough. She's she's stuck in the middle, I feel like. What I really enjoy about Svitolina the last even five years is she's ended the season strong. She These past three years in particular, she's ended the year ranked 6-4-6. and six. Each of the years, uh, you know, she got five titles in 2017, four titles last year. But this season, she made the jump of two Grand Slam semifinals and her fourth Grand Slam quarterfinal. So that is certainly a rise in performance. I think physically, what the, what these past three to five years have shown is she has that component. She is always going to be physically capable of competing over the course of a two week event. Uh, she is always going to be physically capable of competing. You know, injury. Hopefully, that's nothing. Not something she ends up dealing with. But she is going to be able to play week one, two, week fifty at the year end finals. You can always expect to see her and that sort of consistency. It takes a really high level of tennis to be someone who is as as good at everything as Alina Svitolina is but what's her weapon I think that's the thing is at this point of the year at the year-end finals you're right she can just out physical a lot of these players because they're slow courts and she's just so physically gifted but it, at a Wimbledon in a final when they're locked in on you the scouting reports the past two days they've been looking how they should attack you what patterns they should turn to you also have a week and a half you know a week and five days of tennis on your body going into that final how is Alina Svitolina going to win easy points? That's a question that continues to remain about her game. And just given how many weapons, the Osakas, Andrescu's, Benchich's, and then the Pliskovas, who still wants to win one, the Kvitovas of the world, the Serenas of the world even, it's, it's, it's hard to find a space for her. Yeah, that, that's the thing, man. I just, I don't know. You know, when we're talking about Grand Slam semifinals, yes, I can see her there in that final four, but... I just don't know if she's going to, I don't know if she's really ever going to be the player, especially now with the parody on the WTA side with all these different players that we've mentioned. I don't know if Svitolina is going to be that player that can consistently win events from week to week on the WTA tour. I just, I don't think it's there, man. I really don't. So the counter is obviously she's ended the last five years ranked 19, 14, 6, 4, and 6. This year she got 39 wins, but the previous four, uh, four before that, she eclipsed the 40 mark, her high in 2017, going 50 and 13 with five titles. Again, those five titles, uh, three of them coming at Premier Five events in Canada, the Italian Open and the Qatar Open. No, she didn't win a title this year, but with someone of her consistency and gifts that she competes so often throughout the year, I think there's no doubt that she can compete for titles week in, week out on the WTA Tour. I don't think that's the argument you're making, by the way, but just to make that clear, 
But yes, in terms of cracking tennis's upper echelon, in terms of in the 2010s, we saw 19 different women win Grand Slams. Well, there are a lot of young, talented women right now who will be looking for their first slams in the 2020s on tops of players like the Pliskovas who didn't get one in the 2010s, who still wants one, or a Halep who's still in the prime of her career, who still wants to add more titles. It's a dogfight, and that's why the next 10 years, I think, of WTA tennis are going to be so exciting. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I really think it's, again, we've hit on it a lot, but there's so many different players that have the ability to compete uh, you know, for the biggest tournaments. It's just, when we mention all those, in my mind, Svitolina isn't, she's not at the forefront of that conversation. Again, I think she can win matches consistently. Every week, she's going to win matches. I'm not concerned about that. But I'm talking about winning titles consistently and being like a top five solid player in the world. I don't know, man. It's going to be tough out there. And we have a full off-season to speculate on the goings-on of the WTA Tour, but because it was the last singles event of the year, I did want to spend some time on that, take our final thoughts. But we do have a college interview to get with with Chris Hallior, so let's move on quickly to the ATP Masters event in Paris last weekend. Not a lot to talk about in terms of the title. Novak Djokovic, surprise. No, he didn't win any of the big post-Wimbledon results on hard courts. Until he came to Paris, of course, and reminded everyone why he was the best player on a hard court in the 2010s and maybe ever. He doesn't drop a set on the way to his Masters title here. I believe it's his fifth Paris title career of his career. I mean, the guy's a beast. So any thoughts on the Djokovic title that you want to share? Because I have a couple of other things I want to hit on from this tournament. Yeah, I'm just disappointed that Rafa had to pull out. I was really looking forward to a Joker-Rafa final. I I was expecting it. Um, so unfortunate injury for Rafa there that was disappointing. I just, I think Novak's road was just a little too easy. I mean, yes, he did beat Stefano Tsitsipas, destroyed him, actually, uh, I believe in the quarterfinals. But, you know, then you're talking about semifinals of a, a Masters 1000 and he gets Grigor Dimitrov. That's not typically a guy that we would think would be in the semis of a, a Masters 1000 at this point. And then Denis Shapovalov, who can play great tennis, um, you know, in the final, but it's just, that's, that's a bad matchup. Um, I don't like Dennis when he goes up against Novak. I don't like pretty much anybody when they go up against Novak, but especially Dennis, because just his style of play, Novak is going to just put an extra ball in the court and, and the errors are going to start to creep in. So yeah, no, Novak looked good, man. It was an impressive performance all week long. He looked very good, but I wanted to see Rafa and and Novak in that final, man. It's hard to speculate on Rafa given he's got the MRI for his abdomen, I think, tomorrow. Maybe he had it today, and we're just not sure how it went thus far. So we'll see if he'll play even in the ATP World Finals. But Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
I'm looking at Novak Djokovic's career statistics right now on Wikipedia, and I don't know if you've been there, Matt. They color the greens with or the the wins with green Ws, the finals with purple Fs, the yellows with uh, yellow semifinals, and it's literally a battleship board. Like you have a bunch of greens, it's, or maybe it's Connect Four, where it's like I won Shanghai, um, I won Cincinnati, I won Canada, and I won the Italian Open four in a row, and it's just unbelievable how many tournaments he has won over this past decade. This year, a casual 14 tournaments entered, six finals, five titles, goes 53 and 9 overall. He wins a you know an easy two majors this year, makes the semifinals at the French. Obviously, the weird pullout at the U.S. Open, but uh, to, uh, to, as I mentioned, to follow up, it was his fifth title in Paris. He won 85% of his matches this year thus far, and it doesn't even hold a candle because in 2011, he won 92% of his matches. In 2015, 93% of his matches, he eclipsed 88% in uh, six straight seasons from 2011 to 2016. Uh, yeah. If you're not used to Novak Djokovic's dominance by now, what have you been watching these past 10 years? I completely agree with you. It would have been nice to see him play Rafa, but this guy is just amazing. But the other things I want to touch on from this event, let's look from the semifinals and beyond, because as much as I would love uh, to talk about uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, Christian Guerin's run here as well, Sanga making a run in front of the French fans, Monfils having a chance to clinch the ATP World Tour final spot for himself, but ultimately losing in straight sets to Denis. Dennis Shapovalov, because that's the guy to talk about after this event, right? Dennis Shapovalov, who beats throughout the tournament Jill Simone, though he gets a retirement. Then he beats Fonini, who was in the ATP World Tour Finals conversation. Zverev in the ATP World Tour Finals conversation. Gael Monfils in the ATP World Tour Finals conversation. Indoors, hard court, he is now up in the live rankings to a spot of number 15, his career high. This is a guy who, through the first two-thirds of the season, didn't have it. And to see him end the year this way, the first guy from 1999 to make a Masters final, I mean, it's just... It speaks to the work he has put in, the faith he has in himself, and the talent that he is as a young tennis player. Yeah, for sure. And I I know I've brought this up in the past, Gruskin, but when does Dennis always play his best tennis from year to year. It's always when that U.S. Open hardcourt series starts and, and you know, we're, we're past Wimbledon. That's when this guy always shows up and plays his best. So I'm not surprised with what he's done here. I mean, indoors, you mentioned it, hardcourt. He loves it. He loves it. And he can play with pretty much anybody, not named Novak Djokovic. That's just a bad matchup. But against pretty much anybody else in the world, I mean, he's going to be able to go out there and have a good chance to win, especially on this kind of surface, up to 15 in the world now. I mean, I love to see it. I love watching this guy play. There's no doubt that Denis Shapovalov, keep in mind, he's 20 years old. He is going to do things over the course of his career that are going to be just incredibly impressive. And whether it's the forehand power he can produce at will, whether it's his movement, his creativity, his ability to improvise and be strong in those moments of improvisation. I mean, he dominated Zverev. He dominated uh, in that quarterfinal match. Gael Monfils. He just played. Yeah, yeah, he just played so well, taking balls early. The big stat we saw on the TV: he's slicing his backhand return 
return more, playing with more variety. He's going to get better as a volleyer, but you can tell he's not afraid to move forward, which is a, you know, if in a binary thing, that's a trait you need to have. You need to be willing to do it, and he certainly is. Now, he's not ready to hang with Novak Djokovic. The second serve still hangs a little bit too much. When he stretches out and slices that backhand return, it sits, and Novak Djokovic, players of his caliber, are going to pounce on that. But given where he was at Wimbledon, how can you not be enthusiastic about the 20-year-old Canadian? Here's my thing, though, man. Are we going to see him take a step on clay and grass next year? Because this is where, for me, that's really when I'm going to be honing in and watching this guy closely. Because we know what he can do on a hard court. He, by far, hard court is his best surface. No question about it. He plays well on hard. But... Can he show up and be a force on clay? There, you know, that there, the clay court season's fairly long. I mean, there's a lot of big tournaments on clay. And then we go to grass. That's a big chunk of the season. If, if he can take a step there, I mean, we're talking about a guy that can be top 10 and just a consistent force throughout the entire season. That's, I mean, if we're going to pick something that's lacking... It's that part of the year when he's playing on other surfaces that he really needs to improve. Can he do it? We'll see. The good news for him is he gets to start the year off on the hard courts. He gets to build through the Sunshine Double. We saw him have success in Miami this year. If he can replicate that next year, he's right where he wants to be, and it's nice to have that chunk of points, but I agree with you. It's a three-surface sport, and you got to be able to get it done on all three if you want to be in the top five, certainly if you want to be a multi-time Grand Slam champion, which is what I imagine Denis Shapovalov aspires to be, but great performance for from him, from Dimenauer, from a lot of these young guys down the home stretch uh, real quickly because I, we don't need to talk about Rafa but Grigor Dimitrov follows up that U.S. Open uh, run with a semifinal here along the way he beats Umbert, Goffin, Dominic Team, Christian Guerin who had been playing really well loses admirably to a red hot Novak Djokovic 7-6-6-4 very quickly how are you feeling about him headed into 2020? Um, I'm, I'm feeling okay. I mean, yes, he had a good run to end the year, and I'm, I'm happy to see it. But come back to me after we get into next year a little bit. I mean, I'm going to have to see, you know, right now it's, it's not nearly consistent enough for me. The, the beginning of his year was god-awful, man. I mean, it was just terrible. He wasn't even a factor. Um, so let's get into next year, see if he can string together some tournaments, and then, you know, we can start talking about him again. Hopefully he can do it. I've always been a Grigor fan. It's just, you know, when your year is really, when it starts at the U.S. Open, I mean, it's a bit late for me. Yeah, I would would imagine Grigor feels the same way. I think he must be so relieved to have at least some sort of points to fall back on at the beginning of next season. He's not going to have to fight his way through qualifying. He's going to get into all the events he wants to play. And for him, given where he was in May, in June of this year, that's a massive success, a massive win. And all you can do at this point if you're him, 27, 28, 29 years old, is look forward. You can't dwell on what was the early parts of this year. You have to move forward, and it becomes so much easier to do that when you have the sort of run that he did down the home stretch. So I was really impressed by his level here. You were, you're reminded of the talent. You're reminded of physically what he's capable of, his movement, his flexibility, his improvisation on the run as well. It was 
a great performance from him. But again, the big takeaway, Novak Djokovic looking awfully good heading into the World Tour Finals. But before the World Tour Finals, there is one more event, and it is going on this week. It's the last event we'll talk about before we bring in Chris Halliors and talk some college tennis. That, of course, is the ATP Next Gen Finals in Milan. And we will talk about this. I'm sure you and Jamie will talk about it at length tomorrow. So we can go through briefly here. Tomorrow's action is the first action of the event. We have all eight players playing. A quick reminder to you listeners, it's best of five sets, but the sets are up to four. It's no ad scoring. It's abbreviated tie breaks, video replay, on-court coaching. This year, the players are going to be allowed to wear technology to monitor all of their various levels, all of their various exertions throughout the match, give data and information to their coaching teams to examine after. That's not something typically allowed on the ATP Tour, so that's pretty cool. There's also a towel rack. Ball boys don't have to discuss, uh, touch those disgusting towels in between points. The players are responsible for their own you know, filth, and I think that's certainly a plus. Free movement, all the usual perks that come with this event. It's quick, um, but they're fun matches, and we have a really fun field. Denis Shapovalov, as I mentioned, pulling out. Stefano Tsitsipas, also eligible for this event, but he ends up pulling out as well. And you look at the field of players we have here. Very fun field. Kasper Ruud's going to take on uh, Miomir Kasmenovic tomorrow in Group A. The other match there, Alex Dimenauer playing Denis Shapovalov's replacement. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, the young Spaniard, who with his challenger success has propelled himself into the top 100 at the end of the year. In the other group, Hugo Umbert, the Frenchman who made the fourth round at Wimbledon, will play challenger stud from 2019 and younger of the Swedish Yimmer brothers, Mikhail Yimmer. In the other match, a rematch of a few weeks ago, Francis Tiafa, who's making his third appearance. He's the veteran at this event. He's playing the sin man, Yannick Sitter, the young Italian who's obviously captured the attention of so many tennis fans over this home stretch as well. Uh, your thoughts on the field, Matt, before we get into individual matchups. Yeah, I, I like the field. I think it's it's fun. Um, obviously, you know, off of pure skill and everything, if, if Shapovalov and Tsitsipas were in there, I mean, that I'd love to see uh, for obvious reasons. But, no, I think this is a fun field. I, I like all these guys. There should be some good matchups. Um, but I think, I mean, there's one guy to me out of all these that, that really stands above the rest that's in here. And, and that's Alex Demonor, man. I mean, he, he's played really, really good lately. I, I love where he's at. I just, I, I'd be pretty shocked if he didn't, uh, if he didn't take this thing home all the way. I told Rothman if we're doing any gambling this week, it's Alex Dimenauer to win plus someone else. Like, he could go undefeated, and it fits the narrative, right? Chung wins two years ago. He goes on to success in Australia. Tsitsipas wins last year. Boom to hit the beginning of his season. Uh, the way Alex Dimenauer has finished this year, he certainly is the favorite physically and just confidence-wise in this field, and there's no reason we couldn't see him make another huge jump next year in his home country of Australia at the start of the season. I think he won a title in Australia earlier at the beginning of this year, so certainly something we've seen him do before. Yeah, he's the favorite, but it's going to be fun to see a guy like Davidovich Fokin, who's had a lot of success on clay, him coming to the hard courts here, matching up against his peers. I think Kasmanovich physically is a rock and a guy who's going to be just so solid moving forward. I mean, Tiafo Sinman, a lot of people love Yannick Sinner as much as they love FAA, so you want to see Sinner standing. Hopefully we get a a shot to see him play maybe Dimenauer in a semifinal. Would love to see Tiafo, Sinner, Dimenauer, and Kesmenovich. Honestly, any combo is fine, but I'm a little biased. But uh, 
It's it's going to be a really fun event, certainly. But for tomorrow's matchup in particular, I'm going to go through the four. Give me your predictions. We'll go back and forth. And this is just for me because I told Rothman I, I'm going to give him gambling advice circa you. So, Rude Kesmenovich, who do you like here? Uh, this is an interesting matchup. I think it's going to be a grind. I mean, both guys play pretty similarly. They're going to rally. They're going to hit a lot of balls. Not massive power out of either one of these two. Give me Kesmenovich in this one in a, in a close match. Agree with you. I think Kesmanovich just rude had his big success on the on the clay. Yep. Uh, he's got a nice forehand. I mean, really nice game, really well balanced. But Kesmanovich just so rock solid on hard courts. We saw him quarterfinals Indian Wells this year, although there were some defaults along the way. But I agree with you there. I'm going to go Kesmanovich. We have to go quicker because we need to bring on Chris Dibenauer, Davidovich, Fokina. Oh come on, man! I'm not even yeah. saying it. All right, give him the demon. I agree with you as well. Umber Immer, who you got? Yeah, I'll go Umber, l- the lefty. I like him. S- See, this is the problem is for a good tease, you ultimately need three odds because usually Dimenauer, huge favorite. I'm sure Kuzmanovic is a favorite. You're not going to get great odds on a parlay there. So to throw in a third or even a fourth match really helps bring everything down. Yimmer has had more explosive results, but Umber's been playing on the ATP Tour for the past six months, and that sort of experience, it you know, Wimbledon fourth round compared to ATP Next Gen Finals, it means something. And Yimmer's been a talented young guy, but this is a big stage for him. Umbert the lefty, I need to disagree with you. I'm taking Umbert, but I'm not confident in it. I mean, I, I, it could be a good match, but I, I like I like Umbert for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. I like it. Last one. Tiafo Sinner rematch. I believe Sinner won their first encounter a couple of weeks ago. Who you got? USA. USA. <laughs> USA. Come on, Francis. Get him back, man. Get him back. I love Yannick Sinner. 18-year-old. He's going to be phenomenal. Very fun player to watch. Uh, but... Come on, man. Francis, let's get it done. It was in Antwerp. Sinner won the match 6-4-3-6-6-3. Tiafo had a bunch of chances in that one. The no-ad format, he's the veteran here. He's played this event before. All of the reasons you would expect Francis Tiafo to, to be the favorite in this match, he should be. And yet, Sinner's been on fire as of late. I mean, that win over Monfils a couple of weeks ago, I think in Antwerp as well, was just beautiful I mean this guy is an up-and-coming talent he's not going to be afraid of the moment you can tell he loved being at that AC Milan game you taking center <sighs> taking five sets I'm taking <laughs> this match is going to be the reason we lose tomorrow because five I'm gonna pick... four game sets keep in mind no because the four par- game sets yeah the parlay is going to be Kasmenovich, Dimenauer, Umbert and someone in this match and whoever I pick the other person's going to win do I want to give the Gruskin curse to Tiafo? I've been rolling with Tiafo since 2011. Give me Francis Tiafo. I'm not going to ditch him now. <laughs> Great, uh, so man. I, well, yeah. we know Sinner's going to win. All right. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations, Sin man. You've done it. But all right. With that in mind, and I do want to mention we will be talking about that next-gen finals. I'm sure you and Jamie tomorrow. But also Fed Cup coming up as well as the big Knoxville Challenger, part of the USTA. Australian Open Wildcard Challenge. Those are all things we'll be monitoring throughout the week. But as it is Monday night heading into Tuesday and on Tuesday, Matt's College Contender article will be out on CrackItRackets.com. What we want to do today, bring in Chris Halioris, talk about our next College Contender series. So we will be doing that right after a commercial break. But be sure to stick around.
Welcome back to the mini break. As we promised earlier, this being Tuesday, Matt Stachowiak, who's rejoining me now, has an article coming out on our website, CrackedRackets.com, called College Contenders, his College Contender Series, looking at the top 10 teams from last year, projecting how they will fare in the 2019-2020 season now. Before we get into this week's team that we will be discussing, I have to bring in our third guest for this exercise. He joined us last week when we discussed number 10 TCU, and as we learned, that was his team to sleep on so maybe all of his fun is already out of this and now he's just joining us out of pity he is the former face of the Mississippi State men's tennis social media presence now the face of course of a lifelong Liberty tennis fan he has the headset on that is the equivalent of a monocle and that of course shows his age the lovely voice of collegetennisranks.com Chris Halliores welcome back to the mini break Oh, thanks, Alex. Glad to be here. I'm trying to change up how I introduce you every time. Some aspect of you being old, but then other accomplishments of yours. I would expect nothing less. I mean, it'll it'll never get old, Alex. (laughs) I'm glad that's the case. Well, last week was our first in the series, and we kind of scrambled around. It was our first college look of the year, so we talked about some outside topics. Today, I'm going to try and keep us much more on script. Matt, let's start with you. Who Our number nine team, as we mentioned last week, number 10 TCU. It's a countdown, 10 to 1 on the men's side. Let's start here. Who was our number nine team this week, and can you give us the scene, the record last year what they're coming off of yep number nine mississippi state bulldogs a favorite of chris the reason we brought him on obviously exactly exactly so look i mean when we think of mississippi state obviously this this is an sec contender over the last several years i mean they're um one of the best in the country and this year it's going to look a lot different, man. I mean, they, they won the SEC tournament last year, did drop in the round of 16 to TCU. A, a bit of a disappointing loss there, I think. I, I mean, I, I expected them to be in the quarters. Uh, but, but regardless, I mean, they were a threat. Um, definite top 10 team, no question about it. And, and this year, man, it's just got a whole different look. They lost their core four, as I like to call them, when we're talking about Nuno, Strali, Trevor, uh, Nick Braun. I mean, those guys were really the, the heartbeat of that team. I mean, those four guys racked up a whole lot of wins in singles and doubles. And when you graduate four guys like that, four starters in singles and dubs, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't want to say rebuilding year. I, I never want to go there, but sometimes you got to throw that out there. And I just, I think it's going to be tough for him this year in a conference where there are a lot of good teams. To be clear, I recommended we make this a let's talk about Michigan day, or let's talk about some team that's not in the top 10 that we think should be in the top 10 day, because I agree for Mississippi state, you're not just losing a team that came off of a round of 16. That was the two seed at the national indoors. That was the sec uh, postseason tournament champs, but you're talking about a team that's coming off of probably the best four run year run in their program history. You mentioned the names, but you start with a guy like Nuno with all due respect to Trevor, but Nuno, you know, three times in a year, the three time sec men's player of the year, the first player to do that, a perennial top three, you know, number one guy in the country, a guy who who lost, what, like six, seven, eight times at most over the past two years. One of the best players of the 2010s in college tennis, probably just below, you know, that Steve Johnson tier. Stevie obviously setting records, yep. but a guy as good as anyone else who's played the game, and you lose that alone, but you also lose Strali, you also lose Nick and Trevor, who 
staples not only in the doubles lineup, but guys who contributed in singles for the past three or four years. I mean, yeah, that's a huge moment in your program to try and rally back from that. Chris, I, I know your attention will be diverted elsewhere, but given where this Mississippi State program is coming from, how harsh will the drop-off be? How real is that feeling in terms of looking at their roster? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's it's probably it's more than just the roster. So it's a, it's a couple things to look at. You know, obviously, one is you know the, when you lose just losing Nuno alone, right? I mean, just you go there. Obviously, it's you know the level can't quite be there, but they brought three freshmen in. Uh, all three of those guys are are going to start, and and you know Matt had a team four years prior when when the four when those four guys came in as freshmen that blanked Illinois 4-0 to get to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. The Rishab so, Agarwal teams, correct? So, yeah, that, that was, yeah, Rishab was a sophomore then. So when 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 Trevor, Nick, Strali, and Nuno all came in as freshmen, you had basically it was those four guys, and then you had uh, Rishab and Mate, mm-hmm. uh, Mate Couture in the lineup, and along with the four freshmen. And those guys made, they made a run to the Sweet 16 before losing to North Carolina uh, in the Sweet 16. So, you know, it can be done. Now, granted, that's, you know, again, the, the big difference is Nuno. The, uh, it, it's, it's, not everybody can turn up a Nuno every, every day, every year. Right. <laughs> so the, there's certainly going to be a drop there, but I think the more interesting thing is you, when you look around at, at, and you start to think, well, what can they do? And you look at the sec. Yeah. The sec is good, but you go Florida, Texas, A&M, maybe Tennessee, t- I mean, Tennessee, South Carolina, probably that next tier. And, and then it, it's a, it's a big rat race after that. I mean, everybody's in kind of, in that in that same boat together so uh you know it's one of those where they could come out on the losing end of a bunch of four three matches and and be down or they could come out on the winning end of a bunch of those kinds of matches and you know and be you know i don't think it's out of the question and i would think i don't know what matt's thinking but i would think that you know top five is probably what they're you know a a goal fifth somewhere around somewhere around fifth in the sec uh but you know and and that's given what they've got now who knows obviously you know like if we were talking about some other coaches you'd be saying for sure they've got somebody coming in january who knows what matt what what matt's got uh if he's going to be able to bring anybody else in right now they've only got seven guys on the roster so you would think they're looking hard to bring uh bring another player or two in but uh but yeah i mean the the level clearly when you when you lose a guy like you know and then you got trevor strick Trevor Strali and Nick as well uh you know it comes down a little but the but the guys they've they've brought in have, have had a decent a decent fall I mean Flo has been on a a tear uh he took out Erlen Bush from Tulane who was their number two went on uh went on a run this weekend down at SMU uh beat with several good wins won his bracket made it all the way to the finals of the championship bracket so so he's playing well Gregor won regionals uh won the southern regionals uh, and they'll be playing fall nationals heading out uh, Tuesday morning to to go to fall mats uh, and get some experience out there. Uh, so you know, and then uh, and then the three freshmen they bring in along with Geo Flo and and Gregor will be uh, you know that's that's the core uh, the core six that they'll be playing with right now. You look at them in the ITA September rankings. Gio Ordani, the only guy slipping in at number 24, him coming off of, I believe it was a semifinals appearance, right, at last year's NCAA singles event? 
Yes. So you have that in terms of the singles. He's the only guy ranked in terms of the doubles. He does have a ranking there alongside David Tatora, uh, who I have not heard of, but they are tied for 32nd. And I say that respectfully to you, David. That speaks to the depth of those previous four. Just fun fact for you listeners, Chris and I will be interviewing Mississippi State head coach Matt Roberts, I believe their assistant as well, after this podcast to be released simultaneously on Tuesday. Sorry to cut you out of that, Matt. It was Chris's fault, not mine, I swear. Um, you know, Four's four's a cool time. Five's a crowd. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but with that in mind, I mean, you look at the drop-offs on the roster, right? And it's just so many individual matches lost. I mean, you lose all of your one singles. You lose all of your, what, what was it, two singles? You, or I guess three singles. You lose all of your four and you lose all of your five. That's brutal. Like, I mean, Matt, or not Matt. All right, yes, Matt. What am I saying? Now I'm, I'm like looking at the roster names and I see Nick and I'm like, did I just call Nick Matt? I'm like, no, I'm talking to Matt. I'm not talking to <laughs> Nick O'Connor. Um, but Matt, I mean, to you, just wh- where do you replace those matches? Where do you find them on the roster? Well, and, and this, I have some questions for Chris here because that, that's a good question, Alex. And, and really, here, here are my questions. This is, this is what it's going to come down to, Chris. Can Geo step up and play one in the SEC against guys like Crawford, against guys like um, Jubb, you know, those kinds of players? Can he step up and win matches at number one? We know he was very good at two. Can Flo step up and, you know, if he's forced to move up in the lineup, we know that he's pretty good down low, but let's say he has to play higher. Is he going to be able to consistently win up there? And then how good really are the three freshmen? I mean, we know they're going to play. There's no question about it. How impactful can they be right out of the box? And by the way, Chris, before you answer that, you said earlier, sorry to cut you off, but come on, you're used to coming on here by now. Um, When earlier you were saying, you know, who knows if they're going to bring someone in in the spring, let's be honest, you would know, but I won't push you there. But there is that thought, right, is because they're at a roster size right now of seven, as you mentioned. And just when you have to compete with seven guys, given how long the season is, that's a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, and they've—I mean—they've been there before. But for for sure, they're look if they can get a really good quality guy, uh, a, a quality guy. Yeah, for, look, for January, it's a parcel bomb to be dropped on a later date. I'm not trying to push you here. I swear. I'm just saying because because they just have so many matches to replace. Right? It's just so the match experience itself. You can't replicate that. Yeah, and and you know, and even for the guys coming in, even if you get a January, I mean, let's look back at the those guys that came in. Uh, even with the the Fantastic Four, Nick and Trevor were the two that were there early. Nuno and Strali came in, and they were they were January commits, and even they you know struggled a little out of the gate because you know when you come from especially from Europe over into the college game that you really know nothing about. I mean, it's been comical seeing some of these guys that come over uh, that you know know nothing about the college game. Uh, you know, they, they get thrown out there to play and, and, you know, it's, it's a, a lot more grueling than what they're used to. And, and they're not used to the team oriented aspect and everything. It, it takes a little while for them to adjust. So, uh, so yeah, you got to figure they're going to, even, even if they bring somebody in, they're probably starting with, with what they've got. And, you know, back to, to some of Matt's questions, I think, uh, yeah, Gio's not going to have any problems competing at one. He's played all those guys you've talked about, right? He played Crawford in the, that was our, he, he and Crawford played uh, in, a, in a marathon match uh, in the SEC tournament two years ago uh, when we ended up when we beat A&M in the finals, beat Florida in the semifinals. Uh, 
and and Gio won that match. Uh, he's played Jub. He he can compete with those guys, no problem. He'll he'll be okay. The, you know, the bigger questions are are everywhere else. And I have I don't know what what Matt what Matt's lineup is going to look like. If I were to to venture a guess, uh, Dade and Flo and Gregor are probably filling two, three, four in some order. I would guess at this point it's Gregor's probably four, Dade and Flo are two, three, and then the other two freshmen are five, six. And the big and the biggest question to me there is going to be how good can the how good can those guys at five, six be? Um, you know, it's a it, 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 they're big questions everywhere. But you know, Flo's been around. He'll he can he'll manage he'll fight and play wherever and he's had a great a great fall. So I think he'll be, he'll be fine. Uh, Gregor has had a, an excellent fall as well, winning regionals. So it really comes to me, it's going to come down to what, have, what are the two freshmen give them if indeed that's where they are. And you know, that, that remains to be seen, but, uh, but yeah, I think it'll, it's going to be uh, it, it'll be an interesting, interesting early season for them to get going and just see, you know, once they get into team action, how these kids respond. And Matt, we don't want to speculate in terms of leadership in the locker room and what it's looked like because we don't have a source in there anymore, but in a guy like Gio, you do have a returner with a bunch of experience, with a bunch of success, with a top 30 ranking that's well-deserved. So you definitely enjoy that at the top, but you look at the SEC they're facing, the gauntlet they've had. You have a Florida team bringing back every, everyone but Perez, right? But and, and I guess Kessler, but they've got plenty of talent in the pipelines. You've got a better Georgia team this season with, again, more incoming freshmen, everyone there a year older. You've got a Texas A&M team that also very, very dangerous in the SEC. They've got a ton of returning talent as well. Basically, you don't want to call them the Mississippi State because I don't know if they have a Nuno, but they have a ton of depth as well in in their lineup, it's going to be awfully hard for this Mississippi State to compete in that conference, right? And that's why them having the seed, them being the host, I mean, we saw them targeted in the ITA indoors draft. How do you think they'll compete in that SEC and throughout the season? I think it's going to be tough, man. I I really do. I mean, even some of the other matches that, you know, may not be the blockbusters, like an Ole Miss or an Arkansas or Alabama, I mean, those teams, they're still going to be good enough to where... I think MSU is going to have to fight to win those matches. I mean, like Chris alluded to earlier, if they're going to pull off some wins in this conference, I think they're going to have to pull off some close 4-3 wins. I really do. I just, because they don't have that depth. Flo, if Flo has to play two or three, I mean, I just, honestly, I don't love that. I, I loved him way more when he was at the lower part of the lineup. You know, you could rely on him down there, but man, I, I just... After Gio, and I do love Gio, I think Gio's one of the more underrated players in the country. I think he's been that way for a couple of years. People don't really talk about him or, or give him the credit that he deserves, the lefty. I mean, he's, he's really good. So I like him a lot, but I just think in this conference, every single match, it's going to be an uphill climb. And we've seen Mississippi State over the past couple of years. They've become infamous on social media for that post-match handshake. Now in a win, that feels so great. In a loss, it's even more somber. I fear there might be a lot of somber handshakes as they go through the crowd during this season. Chris, when you look at the fall results for these guys, you look at the UTRs and how they stack up, how their pro results translate here. How does this roster look? I know it's very speculative. There have not been many team matches played, but how do you expect them to compete in a loaded SEC as always? Yeah, I th- based on what they've done in the fall, I think it do- the, the question marks really will come down uh, to, the, to those two freshmen if, 
if indeed they're five and six, right? But it's it's those two guys. So so Dade is also a freshman, but he's he's had some pretty good fall results. Uh, and then as as I'd mentioned, Gregor winning regionals, and then Flo having a a, a great run here uh, at the coaches challenge down at down at SMU. They've they've put up some really good some really good results against quality guys. Like I said, you know, Flo took out Erwin Bush at regionals, who was their number two player for Tulane, who's no slouch, right? Um, and and Gregor had some some big quality wins there as well. But where we haven't seen you know the the big wins, but and not a lot of matches yet, are for the other two freshmen uh, in Isaac Pacroft and Nick Lavo- uh, O'Connell Lavoy. And we'll see. You know, I, th- I think that's the that's the question mark is how are they going to be able to stack up? You know, you you kind of look at things if you get into the UTRs, you look at things nowadays, and you think and and all these guys that are you know between twelve five and thirteen, your your has your initial thought is hmm, that might that might be a little weak, but then I look back at you know where we were four years ago with with the guys coming in, and, and that's you know it's the it's the difference between do you got a kid that's between twelve and a half and thirteen that's going to keep growing, uh, or is he stuck where he's at? And and time will tell with these guys, but but they're they're in a good shape to compete. Like I said, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, clearly, it's going to be tough to compete with Florida A and M. Uh, maybe tennis, Tennessee, uh, South Carolina, and like you said, Georgia. But it's a, but but everything, everything from from after two down is, I think, is still still fairly open and winnable. But uh, a lot of those SEC teams are even, and it's really going to be a matter of those those guys at five and six are going to have to be able to win matches at five and six, because it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I love Flo, uh, I love Gregor, but you know, with with those guys pl- probably playing up in the lineup, you know, it's it, you know they're going to have to come out big right away. It's it might be a little a little tough right away. And I haven't looked at their their schedule to see who they start SEC play with, uh, but they've got a they've got a big a, a brutal schedule even before that. And they're going to get get a good look at some SEC competition because I, as as Alex had mentioned with the ITA draft, two of their own uh, picked on them right off the bat in Georgia and South Carolina. So the ITA kickoff in January, uh, they'll play Georgia the first match and then win or lose, they get either South Carolina or Oklahoma in in the second match. So, I mean, they're going to have two big matches right off the bat at, at the kickoff. Uh, and then their usual, usual, uh, uh, matches with like the Tulane's and, and Miami's probably, I, I've, I've got to look at the schedule to see who they've got this year, but, but they'll get, they'll get plenty of good challenges before the, before the SEC season the starts. Crazy what about doubles? I, you beat me to it, Matt. The other huge factor here and correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like over the past two years, they won something like 40 of 46 doubles points or something crazy like yep. that. They had a ton of success and it was Strali and Nuno. It was Trevor and Nick at one point, Trevor and Grigor, Nick and, uh, yep. Nick and Flo, they they just had consi- – it was the same four guys, though, who were contributing in singles were also contributing in doubles. And those guys reached, you know, as high as top 10, as high as number 5, as high as number 1 in the country in doubles. And that's when you lose that hub because, you know, last year was always, all right, Mississippi State will win doubles, they'll win Nuno at 1, and then they just got to find two more. When you don't have either of those locks anymore, I mean, we talked about the Nuno, but speak to the doubles, and we'll talk to Coach Roberts, I'm sure, about this, but that's that's just as hard to replace, if not harder, right? Oh, absolutely, and I think you know. I, I don't know how much they've. I'm sure knowing knowing Matt, they'll be they'll be working on those doubles, and and like you had mentioned as we came on, you've got Gio and Dade ranked. 
uh, ranked in doubles, and I'm not sure they've actually played a match together. <laughs> uh, I don't know that they've been in the same place. Uh, you know what they got? I don't going like for that me. ranking then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're both Italian, but no, I don't. You know, I, I, I think you get that uh, based off of the fact that you know it was. You, you see a lot of that coming in every year with the newcomers. You get guys that are ranked that have you know with with freshmen that have never even played, uh, and that's the case with Dade and Gio. They so, gave them the Baratini uh, you know, and, bump. And yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows if that's even going to be be the doubles team? I mean, uh, you, you know, flow flow played. Uh, he and O'Connor played together this weekend and they had some good doubles, but I'm sure they're really mixing the doubles around to see what, you know, what matchups work, but that's clearly when you know, you've already got a little bit of a drop in, in, in singles, you, you got to try to maintain, you know, what you had in doubles. So, so that's gotta be a big focus for them. What was the fall result for these guys that have stuck out to you, Chris? I think, uh, well, like I said, I, I, I think, uh, you know, Gio didn't have to play that much. We'll see. We'll see what he does. What they do in, in the upcoming fall mats. I think really what what stuck out is just the good the good falls that Gregor and Flo both mm-hmm. had. So the two guys that came back both with really solid falls. I mean, Gre- Gregor winning regionals was just. I mean, you know, you're talking about a kid here who didn't he he got into a couple matches last year when some you know due to injury uh, they didn't they didn't have any of the. You know, knowing that they had the team coming back, they didn't have to schedule any of the the cupcakes, if you will. So they played a solid <laughs> schedule all the way through. He got in a couple times when folks were injured or needed a break. Uh, I think between Nick and Trevor, a couple of them needed a break. He came up huge with a win against Oklahoma down at the USTA Center uh, in Orlando to, to to help seal that match. Uh, and and I think he got a win over against Kentucky as well. But uh, but for him to come from a you know a guy that was basically number seven last year and then come through and and win regionals uh, with a couple of the, the big wins that he had that was that was outstanding and I think that's the uh, that's the big one for me and that's got to be a lot of confidence for him you know you never know how a kid's gonna feel coming back hey he was he was number seven guy last year didn't even get a lot of singles action but he's got such a good attitude uh, and he fits you know he fits right in with the that kind of attitude and character that. Uh, that Matt's built down there uh, and the fact that he didn't, you know, he was always ready and willing to play last year. Obviously he played, he was, he was in doubles. He and Trevor together uh, every week in, in doubles last year. But, uh, but uh, he, you know, he got to play, got to play a lot, a lot of tennis at regionals and he's, and he's looking good. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing him continue that. Yeah. And would you say, I, and we'll wrap up here shortly, but, Matt, for you, if you were to look at one player in this roster who you think that player's success or failure will really be impactful to this team's season, who is the player you would circle? Would you go with a guy like Gio? Would you go with a guy like, you know, as we mentioned here, Gregor, who has come on big in the fall, or would you go with one of the freshmen? I'm actually going to go with the one guy that you didn't mention, and that's Flo. (laughs) That's Flo. I think, you know, I'm not worried about Gio because I know what Gio's going to do. He, he's going to be consistent. The freshmen are freshmen. You know, you can only expect so much out of them. I think they'll be okay. But Flo is, is going to have to step up. I mean, he's going to be put in a position now that he hasn't, he hasn't really been in, in at his time down there. So um, to move up in the lineup, you know, and, and he's as one of the older guys – uh, you know, he's going to be relied upon to, to get some wins. And, and again, I mean, I, I think the coaching is outstanding down there. Uh, I mean, I'm not worried about that. I think the leadership is good. 
but we all know, right? I mean, to, to be a really, really good to a, an elite team in college tennis, you've just, you've got to have the horses, right? You've got to have that talent. And it's just that talent that was there, that core, that core four, as I like to call them, are, are now gone. So it's, it's going to be tough. So then for you, Chris, looking at the roster, and then we'll go to you, Matt, but uh, tough schedule, tough region, tough SEC. I'm glad you mentioned South Carolina and Tennessee because South Carolina, bringing back NCAA singles champion, recent Cracked uh, cracked Interviews guest, Paul Jubb. That's obviously you know the Nuno of the conference. You, we don't need to talk about Florida now because I'm sure we'll spend you know six of the next eight months talking about them. But how do you expect this Mississippi State team to compete in the SEC in what is obviously a rebuilding year? And we'll talk about it again with Coach Roberts. But what do you expect the goals to be for a team that lost so much again during this past off season? Yeah, I. Th- I th- I think you pretty much take you look at those to me the top two and it may be three and four. I'm not you know we'll see on Tennessee and South Carolina, but I think beyond that that the goal's got to be to play 500 or better against everybody else. And I think I think shooting for uh, shooting for a 500 or better mark in the SEC, you know, given that you're you're almost for sure going to have to say, look, you know, you don't want to give up matches, but Florida A and M probably you know not not super winnable matches uh now after that you can go after you can go after anybody and and if you can manage to even giving up the top two try to fight yourself for 500 i mean i think that's that's the goal is is try to get to 500 and i think to your previous question to me uh you know as i said a lot last year i think the biggest key when you look at a team and you don't know how good the team is you look at the number six guy how good is the number six guy because obviously you know, everybody else above him, you know, has to be better. If your number six guy is that much worse, then, then you're in bad shape. So we'll see. I think that that's what I'll I'll be looking for is, is whoever, whoever they're throwing out there at six, how effective can they be if they're, you know, they've got to be able to get, you know, a 500 type play out of that number six guy. Uh, And, and I'm, I'm with Matt. It's going to, I think it's actually going to be very fun to watch flow this year because Flo is the type of guy, and we've all seen these guys that, you know, not that you ever want to do it, but he'll, he just will end up playing down to the competition when he plays down to them. But he can play. He hits a really heavy ball, and he can play with anybody as he's shown this fall and taken out, you know, guys like like Erlen Bush and like the guys he beat this weekend. Um, and and I, I don't think he'll have a problem competing uh, up in the lineup, I think it's going to be a lot more fun for him. I'm just a little, I'm a little more worried just because I haven't seen those guys at what we'll see uh, out of the bottom of the lineup. And the bottom of the lineup's got to produce, or, or they're not going to, you know, it will be a long year if they can't get production out of the five and six. Five. So give me a straight up prediction. We'll go Matt then Chris place in the SEC, Matt, and then do they make the NCAA tournament or not? Because they're obviously one of the eight host sites from last year that is up for grabs. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough for me to say. I, I'm going to say middle of the road at best. I, I'm not going to have them any higher than number six right now, and I think that's best case scenario. I've got Florida, I've got South Carolina, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Georgia as five for sure uh, ahead of them at this point. And then after that, man, I mean, I, I think it could be even a little bit, bit worse. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked seven or eight. Um, in the SEC, but I'm really thinking somewhere in the middle between six and eight. um, Can they make the tournament? Yeah, they they can. I mean, like Chris mentioned, 
if they get production out of five and six, and you know, we know what Geo can do, um, pull off some doubles points. And, and yeah, I, I definitely think they have the ability to make the tournament. I mean, that's, you know, that wouldn't be shocking, but as far as their place in the SEC, man, I'm going no higher than six for sure. I like it. Chris, you got in trouble last year when you sent your power rankings to Trevor, who was a member of the team. Uh, and of course, he <laughs> spread it around. But let's hope they listen to this. And now that they're not on the team, they don't hold the grudge. I know they're coming towards you for Thanksgiving. But where do you expect this team to finish in the SEC? And do you expect them to be a tournament team come May? So I'm pretty much right in line line with Matt. I think top five's tough because then I think the the five that he mentioned are probably the top five. Florida A and M for sure. I've got one, two, and then I think between Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, probably three, four, five in some order. Uh, so I think you're you're in a battle fighting for six with the likes. Uh, I mean, and every everybody's a big group there, but I yep. kind of think Al- Alabama, Kentucky, who's got uh you know who's got a a a good uh, Canadian of their own in, in Liam Draxel coming in this year, uh, LSU, Mississippi state, you know, Ole Miss, those, those teams are all kind of, I mean, one big bundle to me that, you know, it's going to be a matter of who steps up, who gets the, who gets the young kids to, to provide some production uh, right off the bat and, and jumps out at them. So I think, I mean, that would be a great, great goal to me is, Hey, shoot, try to try to hit that six spot. I think it'll be tough to hit, hit five but uh i mean if you if you got your eyes on the six spot your top half getting the top half of the sec and then as far as the ncas for sure uh you know the, the cut line generally uh is going to be right around 41 42 for the ncaa tournament so you're looking at needing to be you know top top 40 ish if you're top 40 you're going to probably lock your spot in uh and they've i'm pretty sure they've done their thing scheduling wise knowing they had all these freshmen coming in to make sure that they're not going to have to struggle uh, with the 500 barrier uh, in terms of getting a couple matches against some teams that they know they're going to be able to get some wins against and get some experience. And I think they finished top. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, for them, a, a good, a good goal probably is, is trying to crack top 25 more likely is probably in the, in that 30, you know, thirties range. Uh, and then if things start going well and, or they get somebody to uh, another big help in January, then, then they go up from there. It it's not fun for me when you two agree. It's just not. Like last week with TCU, we got way more arguments between the two of you. And that to me is what I come here for. I mean, look, this is why I wanted to – and all due respect, again, we have Coach Roberts coming on. I'm very – much looking forward to talking to him because it is such a swing team this year. One of you know the best over the past four years to see where they're at, how this program holds up is instrumental in college tennis. But yeah, I think we all agree. This is not the Mississippi State team of the past four years. As good as Geo is, until he proves he can play at a Nuno level, you can't expect that production out of anyone. You can't expect to win, what was it, 32 out of 33 doubles points at one point, Chris? Like, just a remarkable run like that. You can't expect to win back-to-back SEC postseason championships. That's a special run for every program outside of maybe, you know, USC, UCLA, Virginia, uh, those staples that just Ohio state that always seems to be winning the big 10 it's really hard for a team to have the sort of run that mississippi state did so i want to keep that in perspective they were that good over the decade over the past you know five six years in particular uh but this is going to be a struggling one i agree with you i'd say NCAA tournament, maybe. I think for them, the big win is let's get Geo some sort of NCAA title because he came awfully close last year and like little victories for the program, right, Chris? 
Yeah, well, I, yeah, Gio would love to do that. I'm sure. <laughs> no, he'd hate but, it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think though, I, I think you know, I'm, I'm looking forward, hopefully, to, to a big, you know, a surprise, just like they had with the, with the freshman year for the last four guys, where they kind of, you know, they get better and better through the year, and, and then jump up and surprise somebody. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, hoping that'll be the case, and. And, uh, and I'll be going, you know, I'll be heading back there for the ITA kickoff to watch the a super competitive region with Georgia, South Carolina, Oklahoma, and, and them. So that's, uh, that's going to be a lot okay, of fun. Okay, but be honest, what will you watch more of this year, Mississippi State or Liberty? Well, I don't think, you know, I, and I, I'll be honest, I don't, I haven't even asked, but I don't know that they have a live stream at Liberty. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm not sure that I'll get how much of the, how much of their tennis I'll get to see. I am definitely, I'm actually very bummed that I'm not getting to go. The family, everybody's going up there this weekend, which is their last weekend of the fall. They're hosting a tournament and my wife and I are headed to Miami for, uh, for a couple races. So I can't make it over there to, to see them. So I won't, I will not have gotten a chance to see anything in person prior to, uh, to the spring. And then, uh, yeah, it's about equidistant for me to head to, to there or Mississippi state. I think I'm looking at seven, seven and a half hours either way. So I'm sure I'll make a trip or two over. They are hosting their conference tournament this year. So I'll definitely be trying to make it over for that. But, uh, but, but yeah, you know, it's a little different watching, watching Trevor coach his guys is one thing. And then watching these guys that I know and love play uh, is another thing. So, you know, I'll I'll have my eyes in both directions, but, but, you know, honestly, probably, from a watching standpoint, still tuned in a little more to the guys I know uh, and Flo and Gregor and, and Gio. <laughs> well, listeners, all we ask you usually for is to like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Crack Interviews Podcast. But we may have to start a GoFundMe. Put a live stream functional device on the Liberty Men's Tennis Course if you want Chris Halliorst to keep coming on the pod. Contribute to that fund. I'm sure it's only in the thousands of dollars, so that sounds pretty obtainable. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it would be... Look, it's it's going to be a fun season for Mississippi State. Definitely a rebuilding year, but you're right. The the runs that happen in those rebuilding years are some of the most fun ones. I know when we spoke to Trevor, that first run for them, I know they were like, wow, we, we're pretty good. We can do this. And so it's going to be a fun team to watch. With that in mind, we'll start with you. Matt, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, definitely overall, there's a lot of unknowns, right? A lot of things that, that have to be answered with this MSU team this year, but Um, Like you mentioned, Alex, I mean, it could be the start. There's a chance that these freshmen and these guys are the start of the next core of the team. So uh, it's certainly a team that I'm going to have my eye on and one that I think most college tennis fans around the country should should watch because uh, they could get better as the season goes on. And who knows where they'll be in May? Yeah, I agree. Chris, your thoughts? I'm just I'm I'm just looking forward to getting that getting that spring season going and getting out there to to watch and uh, uh, and, and getting a good preview at the ITA kickoff with them uh, and then uh, and we'll see where it goes yeah, from there. For any listeners who want to hear more about this upcoming Mississippi State season or the program in general, as I mentioned, be sure to listen to the Cracked Interviews podcast that will come out simultaneously with this one. That's why we're wrapping up now. Uh, Chris and I have to go record with Mississippi State. Mississippi State head coach Matt Roberts with their assistant uh, as well. So be on the lookout for that podcast tomorrow. If you missed our Great Shot podcast, our Best of the Decade series this week, The Lost Gen, Generation Grigor, him, Nishikori, uh, that group, why they didn't succeed, where they failed, what we can learn from that cohort and apply to this next generation 
that podcast with Andrew Burton now live wherever you get your podcast. So be sure to go give that a listen as well. Uh, on the Cracked Rackets front, crackedrackets.com for the College Contender Series on Mississippi State. The article itself that Matt slaves over, which we always so appreciate, go give that a look. The more immediate updates, social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, of course, for those links. And as always, a huge shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do as always. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Westoff, for my wonderful co-host today, Matt the Cracks the Koyak, and the voice of CollegeTennisRanks.com, Chris Helioris, and from everyone at both our Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network team, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Matt, then Chris, because I'm sure he doesn't remember. Uh, what do we tell our listeners? Oh, come on. <laughs> That's a break. <laughs> That's a break. I love it, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.